Hey friends, and welcome to episode 154 of It's About Time, a podcast sharing stories and strategies to inspire better work, life, and balance. I'm your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick, and today's episode is all about self-care, just probably not the kind of self-care you're thinking of. This episode is all about career self-care. So often when we think about self-care, we picture bubble baths and spa music, or maybe that's just me. And it's not like we can just hop into the tub in the middle of the workday, especially if you work in an office building or a cubicle. Fortunately, career self-care isn't all bubble baths and spa music, and today's guest, Minda Zetlin, happens to be an expert on the subject. In fact, she's written a whole book about it called career self-care. Find your happiness, success, and fulfillment at work. After talking with Minda about overwhelm for an article she was writing, I knew I had to have her on the show. So let me introduce you to Minda. Minda Zetlin writes the highly popular laid-back leader column for Inc., Her articles and workshops offer research-backed advice to help ambitious people get the most out of their careers and their lives. Additionally, she's the author or co-author of several books, most recently, The Geek, former president of the American Society of Journalists and Authors, Minda lives in Washington State. In my conversation today with Minda, she shares how to cue your mind for focus. She'll tell us about why taking a break is actually good for getting things done. You'll also hear about the Pomodoro technique, what it is and how you use it. And finally, Minda shares her top tips for expert career self-care. And I know you've got a lot on your plate right now, and you might be listening to this episode while running errands, folding laundry, or getting dressed, and you're not exactly able to jot down notes easily whenever you hear something you want to remember. But don't worry, I've taken notes so you don't have to. You can find all of the productivity tools and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 154. And finally, I want to thank you again for tuning in and being a fan. And if you haven't yet, I invite you to click that subscribe button to be notified as soon as new episodes go live. And if you like what you hear, I'd be so grateful for your review. And with that, It's about time we get started, so let's get this show on the road. You're listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Around here, we believe that busy is not a badge of honor. Your host, Anna Dearman Cornick, is here to share tips and strategies to help you make the most of your time. Listen in on real conversations and success stories to find out how other go-getters are getting things done. If you're ready to step away from the overwhelm and spend your time on what matters most, then you're in the right place. Here's your host, time management coach, Anna Dearman Cornick. Hi, Minda, and welcome to It's About Time. I'm so excited to reconnect with you today and talk about all things career self-care. How are you doing? I'm doing good, and I'm so happy to be here and reconnect with you too. Well, thank you for giving your time. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today because I know that the idea of self-care is something that all of us know we should be doing, but there never seems to be enough time in the day to do it, right? 
Absolutely. I, I think that's a problem for all of us, including me, truthfully. Right. We've definitely all been there. Well, I shared your official bio with everyone in the intro, but I would love to hear in your own words, Minda, how do you spend your time? Well, I'm primarily a writer, so I like to spend most of my time writing. And then, of course, there's a lot of other stuff like what we're doing right now, especially right now, because the new book is out and speaking at conferences and doing workshops. And, you know, I also spend as much of my time as I can doing things other than work, because I, I think that's important. Definitely. So give us a peek. What are some of the things you enjoy doing when you're not working? What do I enjoy doing when I'm not working? Well, my husband's a musician. He just got back from a two-month music residency in France. So what that means is we have a whole community of friends and musicians that we spend a lot of our time with. So my social life is a lot around music and music events and things that are called open mics, but are really like big jam session parties where everybody knows each other. And so that takes a whole lot of my life. You know, other than that, I live in the Pacific Northwest. So I hike when I can. I garden around the slugs. And, I, you know, you just wish there was more, more free time and more work time, right? Right, right, exactly. More time for all the things. Tell me, I, I'm so curious, tell me a little bit more about the music. What kind of music? Because this sounds really fun. It is really fun. I'm, I'm thinking I could probably call up a website and play you a sample, but that might be, that might be overkill. He's a singer, songwriter, and a guitarist, and he plays slide guitar and lead guitar. He does a lot of blues. He does mostly his original songs, but he's also, people say he's like seasoning or something because he can mix into any band that's playing anything with his guitar and make it better. So people love, musicians love having him around. I mean, people love having him around too, but musicians in particular love having him around. <laughs> Oh my goodness. How fun. How fun. That does sound very full, very fulfilling. And, you know, on the topic of work, so you, you are a writer, you enjoy writing since you do so much of it. Tell me about what type of writing you do. Uh, where, where can we find your writing? I, I know that you mentioned that you have a book. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on. You and I met because you were writing something, uh, but tell us all a little bit more about what writing looks like for you on a regular basis? So the thing that I do most, that I spend most of my time on and the easiest place to find me and probably the most fun thing I do is I write a column called The Laid Back Leader at Inc.com, which is the website of Ink Magazine. Ink Magazine, if you're not familiar with it, sometimes people think it has to do with tattoos, <laughs> is a magazine for entrepreneurs, small business owners, and really aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners that's been around for a long, long time. And so I get the website, it's fun, the column is fun because I, I pretty much get to sound off about all kinds of stuff. Like later today, I don't know if you've heard this yet, but I, I just love the story. There's a immersive experience audiovisual company that had created all kinds of great installations and it worked at a lot of the huge tech companies and with a lot of the big tech providers. It's a great startup. It's been around for, I think, about a dozen years and its name is Meta. Yeah. So they are suing the formal, former Facebook for trampling their trademark, as you can imagine. Wow. And I am interviewing them and their lawyers a bit later today because, it, you know, what do you do? You've, you've started this company, you've built this company, and then this, this behemoth, one of the biggest, hey. richest, most visible companies in the world, with incidentally a reputation that isn't good with everyone, right. uh, just comes along and steals your brand. I, you know, I, what do you do? So <laughs> that's a question I'm going to ask them later on. I think it's going to be a fun story. What do you do? That's so interesting. So 
you get to so you get to talk with people about laid back leadership. So in addition to writing for Inc, you also are an author and you've written several books. Um, I am in the middle of writing my very first book right now, and I am quickly learning the time that has to be dedicated in order to get into that sort of deep work mode to actually get the words written and make them all make sense. I'm still pretty new to this, so I'm trying to find my flow, my method. How do you find time to write books while you're also writing for ink? Because that's a lot of writing. It, it is. And and it's true that, you know, it's easier if you break up writing with something other than writing, but, but that, that wasn't really the case for me. Okay. So, so 100% transparency. I didn't stop writing for ink, but I cut back because I was writing 24 columns a month, which is a little bit more than one per workday. Wow. And it wasn't going to be possible to write a book while doing that. So I, continued writing for ink, but I did it somewhat less. I picked up, actually started writing for some other clients too, around the time I was doing the book. But yeah, it's hard. And I, I have to say that in the past, when I've written books, I've managed to just allocate some period of time where I cut back on other activities quite a bit. I mean, it was a shorter period of time. This time I had to make it all integrate and it was a little bit tougher. And I did things like, okay, this day, I think we talked about this when I interviewed you, actually, I would try and have a particular day that was really focused on the book out of the week. You can't necessarily always do that. Possibly easier for me to do that because I don't have as many meetings in my life as you do, as some people do. I don't have none, but I don't have, you know, four a day either because I work for myself. So I'm in, in control of how many meetings I have, I guess. Um, so that was part of it. I actually, okay, you may or may not want to include this in the podcast, but I actually used a trick that I learned many years ago, of all things, at a tantric sex workshop. What? Um, at that, and I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I'll, I said 100% transparency. You can, I would say you know, this is like, so cool. at the tantric sex workshop that me and my husband went to many years ago, which was wonderful. I highly recommend it if, if it's a good one for couples. It's, but one of the things they encouraged us to do was to change an existing environment by giving it a different feel. So if you're in your bedroom where you normally are, you know, every night, every morning, and whatever else is going on, change the lighting you know, light a scented candle, throw a scarf over the lamp, put in a little bit of mood music, make a few changes like that. And suddenly you're in a different environment. And that kind of signals your brain that, you know, you're in a different activity. And I found that to be super helpful. So I, I took that and modified, modified it to switch from doing the kind of writing I do every day, which is very fast paced and you know, sort of off the cuff. I mean, it's a certain kind of writing to the more thoughtful contemplative work that I had to do on the book mm -hmm. by changing the environment in my office. So I did, I lit a, set, a scented candle, not a sexy one, but I lit a scented candle and I changed the lighting a little bit. And mm -hmm. I had read research about the brain effects of Bach and Baroque music in general. So while I was working on the book, I had Bach Eventually, because it took a long time to write the book, eventually there wasn't enough box, so I expanded it to Baroque music in general, playing it. It was the only time I ever listened to that kind of music. And that was really helpful because once I put those things in place, I changed the lighting, I lit the candle, I turned on the music, it was like, okay, book bring. And it, it just helped me, you know, get in and out of that mindset a little bit quicker. Okay. 
That is amazing. That is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that because that is huge. You know, I've actually found that I so far have not been able to work on my book at my desk. I sit down and it just doesn't feel right. I've tried going outside. I've sat crisscross applesauce on our bed to try and, 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 and write, but I just cannot work on the book in my office. And so what you just described in creating environmental cues, the lighting, the Baroque music, the scented candle, the specific scented candle, all of that Those are the cues that set off the chain reaction for the habit to begin reading. I'm also reading Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit right now. I have referenced this book so many times, but it's the first time that I've read it start to finish. And that is, you have, I'm just, no words. I I, I love it because you you have, I keep wanting to say like orchestrated or architected or engineered, that's the word. You have engineered writing book brain through those cues. And we can do that anywhere in small ways. So I really hope that if you're listening right now, and maybe you're not writing a book, but you have to get in those moments of focus, take a cue from Minda and find a small tweaks that you can make to your environment to cue that it's time to get into that mindset. I love that. Well, thank you. Okay, y'all. So I know we could all probably use a little more time in our day, right? You're no stranger to busy schedules and intentionally filling them up to the brim because you just have so much to get done. But sometimes it feels like you don't really ever have the time to just slow down and enjoy the simple things. Simple things like when my toddlers are giggling and playing nicely together in the backyard or when a Sunday afternoon nap sounds too good to pass up. We all want more time to enjoy these kinds of things, right? Well, if you love personality quizzes like I do, then you're in for a treat. In my new quiz, which you can take for free at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, I'm helping you uncover what it will take to get you from chaos to calm, to finally feel like you have space in your days. I know it can feel downright frustrating to keep using the same old time management strategies that just don't seem to work for you. You've got the planners, the calendars, apps, you're doing all the things, but you still feel like you have no time. And that's because you need time management strategies that work for your personality and your life. In my 10 plus years working in crisis communications and chaos management, In all the time I've spent with my clients, I've learned that everyone has their own needs. And knowing what those needs are can really help you discover the best approach to planning your days. Knowing yourself can help you ease up busy schedules and find more calm and clarity in your week. Do you wanna know how to get there? To have more breathing room in your days? Let's figure out your time management personality type so you can uncover exactly what you need to do to feel more productive, less stressed, and more balanced. You can take the quiz at AnnaDCornick.com forward slash quiz, and I'll make sure to link to the quiz in our show notes. All right, on with the show. That's fantastic. And not only that, but lighting a candle and playing music while you're working almost incorporates a little bit of self-care, career self-care, which is 
what we're going to really dive into today. But before we dive into the the subject of career self-care, let's talk just for a second about, you know, in addition to the environmental cues that you create in order to get into book brain, how do you stay organized when you are doing so many different types of writing or working on different columns? Are there any systems that work especially well for you or routines? Or are you a big fan of color coding? What are those little tactical things that help you do what you do? Oh, yeah. And well, of course, the thing is, and I mean, I guess we're going to get into this, but the thing is, I write about this stuff. So as I write about it, I learn about it. And as I learn about it, I adopt it. And, you know, and a lot of the things don't, don't work or they don't work for me. So then I drop them, but I try, you know, everything. Always an experiment. Always an experiment. And, and always, and, you know, and it's, it's Kaizen too. It's like continuous improvement. There's always a better way. So I'm always experimenting and, you know, trying to figure out a better way to do whatever. So first of all, for me, this may be particularly effective for writers. I think it's probably also particularly effective for people who do things like write code. I'm a big fan of the Pomodoro technique, which I'm betting you're familiar with and your listeners are too. So I don't know if you want me to describe it or not. Tell us how you, tell us how you use the Pomodoro. Do you use a, a separate timer? Do you put a timer on your phone? Do you use an app for it? Okay. So, so I have a, a really simple thing. There's a, there's a website since most of the time that I'm Pomodoroing and sitting at my desk. Most of the time, there's a website called Tomato Timer, and I just use that. And, you know, and it has 25, 5, and 10 minute timers. So, the Pomodoro technique to just to recap, in case anybody out there doesn't know what it is, it, it, the, the fundamental idea is that you work for 25 minute sessions and then you take a break for five minutes. And if you do four sessions in a row, then you have to take a longer break, like at least 15 minutes. That's the, that's the fundamental idea, but there's actually really a lot more to it. One of the ideas of the Pomodoro technique is that for those 25 minutes, you are working on one thing. It's a great way. So for me, it's a great way to have a bit of reality therapy. You've probably often read the advice that instead of having a to-do list, you should put things on your calendar. And the reason you should do that is because your to-do list could have hundred items on it. So you're expecting yourself to do all hundred items today, you know, right? Sure. That's going to happen. With a Pomodoro technique, you have to actually estimate how many of these 25 minute slots it's going to take you to finish something. On a normal day, I start the day with or I try to do it the night. I don't often succeed in doing this, but it's actually even better if you do it the night before with a plan to do, say, okay, I'm going to write a column. How long is it going to take me to write a column? Realistically, at least four Pomodoros, maybe six. So, so I list, okay, write column for Pomodoros. I just write four P because I've been doing it for too long to write the whole word. And then as those, as prescribed by the Pomodoro technique, as I do those 25 minute slots, I you know, I check them off. I'd say, you know, I put in an X. Okay, I did one. All right, I did the second one. Now, what happens in the reality therapy part is if I say, okay, I'm going to write a column that's going to take me four Pomodoros, then I'm going to spend an hour in book promo. Okay, that's two Pomodoros. Then I'm going to spend an hour researching this next story. Okay, that's another two Pomodoros. Then I'm going to straighten out my finances and pay my bills. That's another Pomodoro. Then I'm going to write a blog post because my poor blog is neglected. That's another two Pomodoros. So pretty soon I've gotten to, you know, 15 or 20 Pomodoros. Is 15 or 20 half hour slots going to fit into a work day, particularly considering the prescription to take breaks after longer breaks after every four. 
Of course not. So the reality therapy and, you know, because those you can't you can't really work a strict work block every day. Reality is for me, it probably tops out at about eight. If I'm really lucky, 10 of those things, most days, a lot of days, even less than that, because, you know, something interrupts or I have a Zoom meeting like the one I'm on right now or, you know, whatever. Somebody comes along and says, can can you do this thing right now? You need to rewrite this right this second and scheduling goes out the window. So realistically, probably six to eight of those in a day. And so if I get past that in my planning, you know, it's like, okay, that's not going to (laughs) work. (laughs) Which of these things are you going to jettison? So you have to do that triage right as you're planning your day. So that's the, that's the reality therapy aspect of it. The other good thing about it, and I have to admit that I don't do this as much as I should, is that if you keep track of the Pomodoros as you're doing them, then you have a real record of how long it took you to do something. So you might think you could do it in two hours, but actually it took you three and a half. Then if you're diligent about saying, and I, I get into the flow of work and I'm not as good at this as I'd like to be, but if you're diligent about saying, okay, I worked half an hour, half an hour, I worked half an hour, I worked half an hour, and every time you check it off, then you can go back and see how long it actually took you to do something. So I know that even though I plan to write a column in two hours or four upon an hours, it's actually probably going to take me more than that. I just know it from having done it, done that thing that I just said. So it's also a dose of reality therapy in that regard that it can tell you how long it actually takes you to complete a task, not how long you wish it would take you to complete that task. Definitely. You know, our to-do lists are meant to be to-do lists, not wish lists. And I love the way that thinking about your day in terms of your 25-minute blocks and your rests really helps you be more realistic. Reality therapy, love that. Going to be using that term. But one thing that I think is really is really remarkable is that, like you said, you really only have eight to maybe 10 Pomodoros each day. So our concentration tops out once we cross that 90-minute mark. We really don't have the capacity to right. maintain our levels of productivity for much longer than 90 minutes at a time. And so taking those five-minute breaks in between, that's so smart because it gives your brain just a little while to relax to to take a break and then you know you're you're not being unrealistic and and expecting yourself to be in a state of deep work all day long because our brains aren't cut right. out for it. so tell those 5 minute breaks obviously you're going to take a a bio break occasionally but how do you use those 5 minute breaks Okay. Well, and, and, you know, full disclosure, they're they're not always necessarily five minutes. They could be shorter. Often in my case, they're a bit longer, you know, all kinds of ways. So, so first of all, I'm not as good at doing the standing desk or sitting on a, you know, a ball chair, or I've tried a bunch of different things, but I'm not as good (laughs) as sitting on alternate seating. I've tried working at a treadmill. I've, I've, like I said, I've tried everything, (laughs) but I'm not as, as, efficient. So one thing that seems important to me, and I try to do this every single time or almost every single time I take a break is like move, get up out of my chair and go someplace. Often it's to the kitchen for coffee. <laughs> I'm, I'm a caffeine chunky. I'll, I'll admit it. Sometimes it's, you know, go talk to my husband for a minute. Sometimes, especially if I'm like banging my way through something and I really have to work. I have, um, you can see it over there in the corner. I have a beanbag chair in my office, which was, it's huge, big, like foam filled beanbag somewhere between a chair and a mattress which was a Christmas birthday present that I requested from my husband. I love having that there. So I fling myself down on that thing. That sounds fantastic. And read for a couple of minutes or do, you know, whatever bit of 
mind fun is, you know, engaging me at the moment. At the moment, it's the guardian cryptic crossword puzzle. So I might do that. I have this on, on the advice of a, a brain expert that I interviewed once. I sometimes actually will try and take like a 10 minute nap on that thing. Yes. Um, and you don't really properly fall asleep in 10 minutes, but you, you, you know, you relax, your mind wanders. It's, it can be very recharging if you're working on something you're tired and you have, but you have to, you know, get through it. Sure. So, so those are some of the things I do in those, in the brief breaks. I was just curious, you know, I think that a lot of times when we tell ourselves that we're going to take a five minute break, we end up squandering it on social media or checking. We pop over to Instagram, we pop over to Twitter. And the next thing we know, we have spent five, 10 minutes scrolling and we go back to work, but we don't feel any more rested because our brain yeah. didn't actually take a true break. Okay. Yeah. And and I'm guilty of that too. And, you know, and again, full disclosure, does do I sometimes wonder while I'm in the middle of writing something? Um, sure. It is very difficult to get the human brain to focus. And what I've sort of been realizing as I've been talking about this stuff more from doing podcasts like yours is that what happens for me anyway, and this may just be an, an artifact of writing, but I think it, I think a lot of work is like this. A lot of times you struggle to focus and it's kind of like, surfing, you know, where you're sort of out there floating around and, you know, I'm not that I know anything about surfing. I've I tried <laughs> once and I was desperately bad at it, but you're floating around there and you're sort of trying to, you know, get into a wave and it's a struggle. And then at some point a wave picks up your surfboard and you go. And that's what I think kind of happens for me is the focus finds me. Mm. So at some point, I get really engaged with what I'm doing and I sort of forget. And, you know, and the the end of the 25 minutes Pomodoro alarm goes off and, you know, no, I want to keep working. And sometimes I just ignore it because I'm really into what I'm doing and I don't want to lose my thought in midstream. And, you know, and this is why the Pomodoro thing sometimes falls apart for me because sometimes I work right through the end of the Pomodoro and keep going mm -hmm. because I found that flow. But it's not really that I found the flow. It's that the flow found me. Mm. You know, it's one of those things you can't hunt for. It has to find you. So you just keep bringing your focus back and, you know, mm -hmm. chipping away at it until, you know, like you're bobbing around looking for that wave until it does find you. So in that period when I'm chipping around, you know, trying to get myself to focus, yeah, I wander off. I, for some reason, don't really have the social media bug. But sometimes mm -hmm. I, I wish I did because it, it might be good for my you know, it's it, for promotion and things. They always say, oh, it's good to do a lot of social media. And I, I try, but I'm more liable to wander away and um, I'll shop online or ah. read news stories. I, I am addicted to my email and in my email are, you know, all these headlines from different media sources that I've, I've subscribed to. So it's like, oh my God, something amazing happened. A company called Meta is suing Meta for calling itself Meta. You know, I got to find out. So, you know, and, and sometimes it turns into something that I write about, but it, it will easily drag me away from whatever I'm supposed to be writing about at that moment. <laughs> but one thing that you can do, and I know that you do, is you give yourself some grace and you cut yourself some slack and you accept the fact that, hey, it's not always going to go perfectly. And every next opportunity is another opportunity to try again, right? Right. And yeah. And, you know, you keep trying or if keeping trying is making you tear your hair out, you stop trying for a while yeah. and could do something else. Yes, that's great. Speaking of that reminds me of folding fitted sheets. I saw I cannot fold fitted sheets. OK. And I saw someone post something on Instagram recently, this tutorial for how to fold a fitted sheet. 
and how, you know, they want to get better at folding fitted sheets and fold the perfect Martha Stewart fitted sheet. And my method that I would love to share with all of you for folding a fitted sheet is to grab the top corners, to wad it up into a ball, to put it inside a cute basket, put the basket away, and then go do something else. Because <laughs> when certain things just aren't working, you can let them go. It's amazing. It is. And I mean, you know, and I think how consequential is it? I'm I'm like this about plants. I, you know, I feel like, well, they're living things. They're not cheats. But, you know, I have a massive amount of plants and they all require care. A friend of mine once observed, oh, Minda, you have like a specific individual relationship with each one of your plants. And I suppose that I do. When I go away for three weeks, like I just did, you know, I came back, some of them were dead. I left them. I trusted them to a friend of mine who just isn't quite as she 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 did her best but she's not as good with plants as I am I guess and god it makes me crazy so but you're right I mean I, I could let go of some of this I could you know occasionally give a plant away I I like your method of folding fitted sheets my husband who was a laundryman in the navy at one time is very particular about how you fit the corner into the other corner and then you you know so here's my solution here, honey, you do it because it's so much better than me. <laughs> yeah. Delegation. Love it. That's, yeah. the way to do it. That's the way to do it. Well, I want to shift gears from our amazing sheet folding methods and talk a little bit about self-care, specifically career self-care. So that is the name of your most recent book, Career Self-Care. And I love the just the concept of this because very often we when we think of career, we think of work, 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 hustle, get it done, meet the deadlines, you know, work your hands to the bone, do everything that you can to move up, show your worth, you know, ask what your, you know, ask your worth, whatever. But then on the flip side, self-care. A lot of times when we think of self-care, we think of bubble baths and massages and candles and things like that that don't really seem to go hand in hand with career. So what exactly is the concept of career self-care and what does that mean to you? Well, I'll, I'll start by saying that I like baths and massages and candles and all those things, if you like them, can definitely, I don't like bubble baths, so my baths never have bubbles in them. But you know, anything like that that you like can certainly be part of your self-care routine. But conceptually, what the idea of career self-care, the way I like to put it when I'm asked to describe the book in one sentence is how to have a great career and a happy life without making yourself miserable, right? Because so many of us make ourselves miserable in pursuit of the things that we think will make us happy. And it, it's at, you're working at cross purposes to yourself. It's self-defeating. So what I learned both from doing a ton of this research in my column. Well, I learned I learned a couple of things. One of the things is when you're writing for the internet, as you know, because you do it too, you find out really quickly what people like and what they're interested in. And as I was writing 24 columns a month for Inc., I was, as you can imagine, writing about a wide variety of topics because... <laughs> I, I had to fill another column every day. And I got interested in some of these topics about mindfulness at work and self-care and work-life balance. And what I discovered was the readers of Inc. really were too, because the readers of Inc., who sound like very much the same population as the, the people listening to this podcast, are 
people who are very ambitious, they're driven, they're really into their careers. They want a lot. They want a lot out of life. And I'm that way too. And when you do that, when you want so much and you're so driven, it's very easy to think, as one guy interviewed said before he learned better, to have this mantra that is, I will work harder and longer than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And it's true that if you work harder and longer than everyone else, right, not everyone else is as driven as you. So that's actually relatively easy to do. But when you work harder and longer than everyone else, you also do a couple of things. I mean, first of all, you make yourself unhappy in the process. So you make yourself unhappy in the pursuit of something that you think will make you happy. That can go on for, you know, the entire 60 years of your career. And then what, you know, then you don't have a career anymore. And Okay. You can go play golf, but will that make you happy? I don't know. But also, and and here's the, the thing that I think is really interesting. The more you do that and the more you don't let up on yourself, the worse you are at your job. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of reasons having to do with, you know, brain science and human behavior that that's true and has been proven over and over again by a wide variety of studies that show, for example, there was a Stanford study that showed that working a past a certain number of hours like, you know, 50 or 60 or something. I think it's 50. I think it's 50. You actually get less done than if you had stopped at a reasonable point because your brain just can't do it. So you lose so much efficiency and productivity that you're worse off than if you had worked shorter hours. There's That's, that's one example, but there's a lot of examples of taking a vacation will up your ability to be creative and innovate. Well, why? Because our brains require us to step away from our focus on something in order to make the creative connections that, that we call creativity. What we often call creativity is the making of connections. And that stuff kind of has to happen at the level of your brain that isn't the immediate focus. And that's why you've probably heard a lot of people say they get their best ideas in the shower or if they're out on a hike or if they're you know sitting in a boat fishing or something. Because when you're doing that and your mind wanders away, your mind will often wander away to whatever it is you're doing in life, to the most important aspects of what you're doing, and you can make those connections. So it's important to focus on work. It's important to step away from work too. And you need all of that. So what I like to say is that we are entrepreneurs, we are business executives, we are creatives, but we're also human beings. And that, that's a human animal. And if the human being is happy, healthy, and at ease, that human being will do better work with more focus and a better idea of what's important. So it's not that you have to find a way to push work aside and have life or push life aside and have work. You actually need both things to be working for you in order to really be successful. And the funny thing is that the more I kind of did this research on me, the more I started saying things like, okay, I am going to take one day a week where I do no work whatsoever. You know, some people work through weekends. Some people do a little bit of work over the weekend. I'm often guilty of that. But one day a week, I really try hard. It doesn't work every single week, but one day a week, I really try hard to do no work at all. If things are kind of going along okay, I try and do it for the entire weekend. It helps me get out of work brain and come back to it, you know, clearer and more focused. In some ways I'm jet lagged, but in some ways I'm feeling clearer and more focused right now because I was just away for a couple of weeks. And while I did do a little bit of work, I was mostly not working. Your brain gets to a different place that's more relaxed. I don't know quite how else to put it. So 
self-care, career self-care is about combining that understanding of how feeling good and happy actually makes you better at what you do. So let's say that someone is listening and they really, they really want that. They're feeling miserable in their work and they've taken the steps to pull back and to give themselves a break and to stop trying to work harder and longer. But the environment of their workplace does not support career self-care, does not support taking a break, whether it's a toxic boss or just an overall toxic work environment. How can someone who wants to make a change personally navigate that? That's, I mean, I, I won't lie. That's really hard. You know, I mean, as I was writing the book, there was a uh, some press accounts about younger employees at Goldman Sachs coming out and saying, you know, you're expecting us to work a, a ridiculous amount of hours and it's not possible. And when you're dealing with something like the markets, you know, the, the markets want to get off, even if you are. So it is hard and I don't have a simple solution for that other than to say that not every workplace is like that. So sometimes the solution might have to do with finding a workplace that is a better fit for you, possibly even an industry that's a better fit for you. You know, I hate to say that because a lot of us love industries that are like that. You know, a lot of areas, not not so much mine, but a lot of areas in journalism are like that. You have to be, you know, ready to go or whatever. And if you love your work, it's really easy to become completely absorbed by that. I think though, it it helps to have that mindset that, you know, okay, I maybe I'm in the situation, but I know that it's not really healthy. So what can I do to make it healthier for me? Um, there isn't always an easy solution. You know, make sure to take a lunch break and go for a walk. Works in some jobs, won't work in others. You know, try and find that balance. Look around you, see the people who seem to have balance. I, it's certainly easier you know, and, and I say this and you can say this, it's certainly easier when you've been doing your work for a while and you have a certain standing in your career Then you can say, okay, I want this. I don't want that. And people will listen because they have to, if you're starting out. And unfortunately, sadly, if you're, you know, if you don't look like all the other people in your workplace, you may feel more pressure to really excel because, you know, you may feel like people feel like you don't belong there. And that is unfortunately a very sad reality of the world we live in. And I just don't want to, you know, pretend that it's not. So, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's a different answer for everyone, but I think it comes down to what you said before, which is about giving yourself grace. Um, if you're in a situation where you can't have that kind of, where you can't have that balance, where you can't take care of yourself the way you, you know that you should and the way that you know that you need, that really sucks. And, you know, you're allowed to say, okay, this sucks. All right. I'm going to do, I'm going to do, do what I can to make myself as happy as I can and as comfortable and as at ease as I can and to take care of my physical body because it's important within this situation. And then when I can, I'm going to do some serious thinking about whether it's possible to change the situation or not. And for mm -hmm. some people, it won't be. And that's unfortunately true too. So if someone is listening right now and they're thinking, okay, this sounds good. I really want to, I feel inspired to take one small step in the next week. I want to take one small step toward taking care of myself so that I can show up 
as my best self in my work and in my life? What is one small step that someone can take? Wow. There, I have so many small steps that I recommend for people and there's so many different ones and different ones work for different people. I am a big believer in journaling, which doesn't, which isn't for everyone, doesn't work for everyone, works massively well for me. There's a whole chapter in my book about it, about my approach to journaling, which I call power journaling and which you can take and adapt in all kinds of ways. So, and when I say journaling, by the way, for me, that's an ink pen and a notebook. For you, it might be making notes on your smartphone. It might be recording a memo to yourself. It might be video blogging. There's an episode of Grace and Frankie that I really love where Frankie insists that Grace has to video blog in order to figure out what she really wants and it works. So, you know, it could be doodling. So when I say journal, it, it's not specifically words on paper necessarily for, for everyone, but I think journals are really good at getting you to look at the bigger picture of what's going on in your work and in your life. And so one thing that I recommend if you're, especially if you're not particularly interested in journaling or you don't do it, you haven't done it, get yourself a notebook or a pad of paper. And at the end of every day, take one minute to write down what you accomplished that day. And it shouldn't be, I completed two of the three reports I had to write even though I wanted to write three, it's what you did that was good and not what you didn't do and not what you did that was bad. I do this and I find this, you know, once again, I, my intention is to do it every night. Do I do it every single night? No, but I'm one of these people who gets to the end of the day and thinks I didn't get anything done. Well, that really helps me realize that, yes, I did, you know, and I did A, B, C and D. So of course I didn't get to F and G. Oh, well, um, that one small thing can give you some perspective on your day and what you're doing that you like, what you may be doing that you don't like, and all the great stuff you're getting done. So that's one small thing that people can do. That is a great small thing. I, I actually have a sentence a day journal that I have kept for the past four years, and I absolutely love it. It doesn't always contain an accomplishment. Sometimes it just hey, we went to the park today. It was really fun. But just kind of reflecting on different, you know. Even going to the park can be an accomplishment when you've got a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, let's be honest. But really just capturing one little thing. Minda, I've absolutely loved chatting with you today, hearing your perspectives on career self-care and really diving deep into how you use the Pomodoro method. That was so incredibly helpful, especially because it's something that I know a lot of us have heard of, but hearing how different people use it is just really great to have that peek behind the curtain. How can we stay in touch with you and continue learning from you? Well, there's lots of ways. There's so the the one easy thing is to find my column on ink. If you Google Minda Zetlin, you'll find my column on ink, but um, it's www.ink.com and then look around and you'll find me. My website, which leads to everything that I do, it's like the Minda Central, is uh, www.mindazetlin.com. And you can find links to my ink column, links to my book. All of this stuff that we're talking about is in the book in much greater detail and with exercises. So so take a look at the book if you would like. It also tells you how to get in touch with me, <laughs> which how to find me on social media and how to get in touch with me, how to read my blog that I mentioned was neglected, but it'll, you know, get you even deeper inside my brain. So, you know, there's, you can sign up for my newsletters so you can get to me in all kinds of different ways from there. So yeah, so that that's how to reach me. That's probably the best way to reach me. 
Wonderful. Well, I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes so you can stay in touch with Minda. But again, Minda, thank you so much for your time today. I've really loved reconnecting and chatting with you, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, and you too. And there you have it. So how will you find your own happiness, success, and fulfillment at work? Will you change your environment by adjusting the lighting or sparking a focus candle? Are you going to give Pomodoros a shot? Or will you try your hand at journaling to see how that makes you feel? Whichever method you try, I hope that you take time to find your own version of career self-care. You can find links to the productivity tools that Minda mentioned, as well as links to stay in touch with her, explore her column, or grab a copy of her book, Career Self-Care, by visiting the show notes at abouttimepodcast.com forward slash 154. All right, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks for listening to It's About Time, a podcast about work, life, and balance. Head over to www.abouttimepodcast.com to join the conversation. Check out the show notes and dive into bonus content so you can start living your best life today. Love this episode? Be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode.